A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome back to this World Game Changes podcast episode where today, um, blimey, you must have heard me say this a few times, this introduction, welcoming a lady, a fellow World Game Changes director from sunny California. She goes by the name of Kristen Johnson. Kristen, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure to be here once again. Bit of a different one, listeners. Quite different. So how's this one? The Recycled Teenager returns to the 18th century. Wow. So there's a contradiction in terms. A recycled teenager returning way back to the 18th century, 240-odd years ago, if you please. Kristen, there's a reason we've decided on this, though, isn't there? It's not just a random title. No, not just a provocative title. And there'll be, and this, uh, for anybody, this will be a bit of a change of pace, as you say, because we'll be discussing... uh, a show that aired in Britain and it's it, and then re, re-aired on Masterpiece Theatre, PBS, I believe, and uh, also currently on Netflix and Amazon. It's called uh, it's called Poldark, and it is based on the books by Winston Graham, and it is um, for sort of a discussion of this TV show, which there are many fans. So uh, there will be some mild spoilers. We won't give away uh, the gory intimate details of the plot, but there will be enough enough spoilers or two that you've been warned. So uh, Poldark. Poldark is interesting because it really gets kicked off by the revolution, by the American Revolution, and that was fought between our two countries and uh, UK, Paul's UK and my America. And it's kind of, uh, it's interesting because now it, 240 years later, here we are a British and an American, you know, chatting like a, chatting like equals. But back then, you know, there was the war of independence, the war from the crown, the war for independence from the British crown, basically. So um, take it away with your thoughts on that and how it sets up this TV show, Poldark. Yeah, um, interesting. I think, you know, just to clarify, the for me, the, the power, the energy, the essence of Poldark as a drama uh, as an action drama, as a love drama, and I emphasise more of the latter because those that know me well, listeners, know that I wax lyrical, I talk about Poldark so much. Is it because I like the show? Yes, it is, but it's so much deeper because what I love about the show, and actually that doesn't even scratch the surface either, deeply appreciate about it is the the storylines and the quality of acting, but it goes... 
beyond that, it's actually the life lessons that it teaches us. And although that was 200 and, you know, two and a half centuries ago, to me, those lessons are still there. Those, those challenges, those real life scenarios of betrayal, of trust, of love, of hate, of peace, of war, all these contradictions, all these polarizations. You know, sometimes when we speak to younger people, they think, you know, and I say they, they think I shouldn't say that in many respects because that offers a generalization. But there's this kind of perception that there's some new things, you know, obviously social media and technologies abounding at, at an amazing rate. Of course, there are a lot of new things that's coming into society. But when we talk about nature, human nature, I don't know. This is what's timeless around a show like Poldark. It stood the test of time because the scenes that it portrays are there and as true today as they were thousands of years ago, let alone two and a half centuries ago. So that's my take on why Poldark has stood the test of time. No question, because if you look at the principles of Greek drama and Shakespearean drama, I say Shakespearean because, you know, it's British, it's England, so that would be that would be normal. But uh, it's uh, if you look at the principles of great drama, of conflict and of uh, the human heart in conflict of, of with itself, and the tragic flaw from from Greek from Greek drama like Hamartia that that um, really affects the tragic hero and the spoiler alert there really isn't a tragic hero here i mean they're almost there's a complex hero the title character but there isn't really a tragic hero there are a couple of tragic characters um most especially one of the the chief antagonists of the series um who does have that tragic what you you might argue to be that tragic flaw and um but ends up uh, ends up becoming more complex than just your cardboard cutout mustache twirling villain because those are boring absolutely boring people aren't like that the worst people in history have reasons for what they do the worst people the worst people that you can think of have feelings passions emotions finer feelings um and reasons that they think are perf perfectly valid of course the rest of us think know that that's not the case but you can't you can't have cardboard villains if you want to sustain a drama series isn't that true paul isn't that true that most people are complex uh paradoxically yes but i think human nature uh, human nature is complex but the game of life with plays i think is incredibly sim simple it's us that complicate it as individuals. Yes, and and that's great for storytelling because, you know, it's kind of like, uh, to give an example from the series, Poldark, Captain Ross Poldark, uh, uh, who's uh, from... So brief summary. Should we give a brief summary for the audience, for those of us, those who haven't seen Poldark, and then we can dive into the, yeah. the nuts and bolts of it? Yeah, sounds good. How would you summarize Paul Dark? Well, let's start where, uh, to quote Mary Poppins, let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> A very good place to start. Um, so the opening scene is where Ross Paul Dark has been injured uh, in the American War. 
in the War of Independence. And he basically sort of comes home. And as he comes home, he comes back to find two things that rip his heart out. One is that his father has passed away while he was away fighting. And also the love of his life, Elizabeth, is now betrothed to his cousin. And I think it's more fair to say more so that the latter, losing his, the love of his life, um, really ripped him apart. And I drew a parallel, rightly or wrongly, I'm a great advocate of the, um, the Wuthering Heights, the Brontes Wuthering Heights, and where Heathcliff and, and, and Cathy parted. But the love that they had, even though they weren't together, was the, the spirit was just unshakable. And for me, Ross Poldark and Elizabeth had that bond. She thought he was dead. She, think, she thought he'd been killed in action, hence her kind of picking up the pieces, because nobody had heard from him, was it two, three years? Uh, she'd picked up the pieces and she'd got betrothed, as I say, to Francis, Ross's cousin. Um, he put aside on the surface of it is heartbreak, wish them well. But of course, like Heathcliff, he didn't really mean that. He probably hated Francis because Francis, in his eyes, more importantly in his heart, had now got the woman that he loved. And I dare say, going to war, that that sustained him. The thought of coming home to Elizabeth and marrying and settling down, having a family, sustained. Because I know from, from many personal conflicts that I've been involved with, that the love of family, the love of, a, in my case, a good woman, how reassuring and solid that is to, cook, to know that you've got something to fight for, what the French would call that raison d'etre. And that's very, very powerful. I think the modern day lexicon is we need purpose in our life. And Elizabeth, I think, was Ross's purpose. So if you want to pick up from there, Kristen, maybe we can keep batting the story backwards and forwards between us. Great. So Ross comes home to something of, uh, not only is his life in shambles, but his father's copper mines, which were the source of their wealth and the source of uh, their ancestral home, Trenwith, and every, which he no longer can afford to keep up. Um, you know, keep up and which um, uh, also I believe also believe his cousin now lives in along with a very uh, engaging cast of characters including Elizabeth there's so the characters are just marvelous the side the the side characters the supporting characters are colorful there's not a cardboard character in the whole series, I I swear to God. Anyway, the, so he comes home to that uh, responsibility to rebuild uh, in his farm called Nampara, and a lot. And when he's out about his business, I believe he sees a woman being uh, mistreated by her father, and this proves to be uh, a lady named Demelzakarn. And she is going to um, basically, for a moment, make him say, Elizabeth who? <laughs> because Demelza is, well, she's she's about as unlike Elizabeth as you could get. She's kind of, her father's uh, abusive, her father's um, just uh, 
not very nice person. She's a working class. She's a peasant. Uh, she basically becomes his uh, his scullery maid, Poldark's scullery maid. He saves her, and but the thing is, she's beautiful. She's smart, maybe not book smart, but she's um, smart about life. She's observant. She understands people, and um, he. It's kind of if you can't. There's there's that old song. There's that song by the late singer seal if you can't be the one you love love the one you're with so that's kind of ross and demelza he uh sort of moons after elizabeth and meanwhile the uh the villain of the series george warlegan who's ross's big rival and has been for a long time since before he went to war george warlegan and his uncle carrier scheming in the background you know trying to undermine the Poldarks, but it's not like a snively whiplash or or something like that, much as twirling, even though they do a like, fair bit of scenery chewing. But the Warlegans kind of have this, they're new money. Wouldn't you describe the Warlegans as kind of new money? Hmm. I want to park, yeah, maybe. Uh, I want to park that because I want, what, raise, what you've said so far raises a very, very interesting um, dilemma for me, and I alluded to this in my, in my opening kind of introduction to the, you know, things that have stood the test of time from, you know, irrespective of its modern day or hundreds or even thousands of years ago about torn between two lovers. Because for me, I think Ross never actually, as much as he loved Demelza, and he clearly did, but he never actually let go of Elizabeth either. And it brings in this kind of, I don't even know if moral dilemma is the right term for it, around loving two people. Is it possible for us to love two people? Is it actually morally right for us to love two people? And I, and I, and I know that that question is very provocative. So I want to kind of pause your question, Kristen, with respect and say, okay, let's focus in on this this flashpoint, if you will, between this, this be brilliant, beautiful drama series and bring it to real life. And, you know, some of us in life will or will not have had this dilemma of torn between two lovers. Can we love two people at the same time? And I mean in a romantic and an intimate sense. Any thoughts around that? Ooh, that's a tough one. But I think... I think the feeling, I think there's a distinction between the feelings and the actions. And that's kind of the road where the rubber meets the road with, uh, with Poldark and eventually spoil alert. There's, um, temptation down the road for, for Demelza too, because what I love about this series is it doesn't say only men have these desires because clearly, no, it's like people have these desires. And people have needs and wants, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily act on them, or maybe you do. But what, but it, what it explores is what happens when you act on them. Because as a screenwriter, in the, to the for the audience, I'm the screenwriter. I'm a novelist, and I kind of hate it when people get a pass because, oh, it was a one, it was a fling, it was the heat of a moment, and nothing nobody really reacts in the story and there's no emotional fallout. Uh, you, that's unrealistic because as we know, 
uh, people in in an intimate relationship, you know, there's a trust there. And I think there's a, yeah, there's a trust there. And you just feel like you want to belong to somebody completely. Like you are their world. They are your world. It's a world for two. And I think it's, it's realistic uh, in terms of the complications that it presents for the character, the various characters, uh, this love triangle, if you will, between Ross, Demelza, and Elizabeth, but also it's it's realistic in the way people actually react to something like this. And can you love two people? Absolutely. You know, should you? That's the question. And I think the series sort of answers that. Um, the series. I don't know that the series necessarily answers that question decisively. What's your feeling on that? I don't think it does. I think it leaves it extremely open-ended. Not even remotely does it kind of t uh, begin to to answer that question. In in my opinion, not even remotely. And I think neither should it, because I think it's such a subjective, personal thing. You know, I've put it out there, torn between two lovers to coin a, a line from a, a well-known song. But, you know, the, the, these are. Because love in itself, I mean, you know, define love. What is this thing? You know, we have friends. Well, okay, so do they fit in a nice, neat and tidy box to say that we can never romantically then fall in love with, with a friend? You know, there's, there's thin lines, isn't there? Um, you know, between emotions and uh, and relationships. And I think that, you know, the friend stroke lover one is a classic one. You know, quote Michael Bolton, how can we be lovers if we can't be friends, for example? And, and I think that holds true. So I think, like I say, I think it's such a deeply personal, and I think that's where, you know, the, the, the game of life we play is a simple game, but the players, as we are, are complex. And that's one example of the complexity that, that serves us. It's like, well, what do I do here? I feel this way about my, I don't know, let's use a hypothesis, my best friend. How do I tell my best friend? How do I tell him or her that I'm actually in love with them? Because, I, you know, and you hear this all the time, uh, you know, as, as a saying, I don't want, if I tell him or her, I'll lose the friendship. You know, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's an interesting one. It is. And, um, and it's kind of, it, but the, the, that friendship, I mean, we listen, we all love the romantic, ooh, attraction, sizzle, you know, chemistry, uh, bodice ripper, romance, whatever. But the, the best relationships really, really have that foundation of friendship and respect and uh, commonality. And I think that even though Ross and Elizabeth are from the same social class, really, uh, and Elizabeth is a great lady and the actress Haida Reed, who plays her, who's all, who's also brilliant on um, FBI International, is, is um, in a completely different role. It's absolutely stunning, gorgeous, elegant, uh, perfect, an admirable female character she's born to this role of a great lady and that's all she wants to be but at the same time like a little like lady mary crawley in downton abbey that we also love she 
also has these finer feelings, but she's not quite as hard as Mary is, at least in the beginning of Downton Abbey. She seems like she's got more finer feelings. And an example of that is the way that she befriends the woman that she kind of sees as a romantic that is a romantic rival to Melsa, because despite their differences in social class, those two women actually connect on a deep on a deep level. And I think that if it if Ross hadn't been it wasn't in the picture, they would be good friends. What do mm. you think? Yeah, but it yes, but it just shows you how much we get compromised as humans about our emotions because they had a common love for a man and that was enough. I mean, they were, you know, they kind of, as, as throughout the show, there were examples um, and let's, let's kind of not dive into any other examples at the moment, but there were examples where people put apart their intense rivalry for the greater good. And I think that's what the two girls did, the two ladies did. They, you know, particularly in times of... Um, the fever, you know, uh, Demelza was forbidden to go into the house, but she still went to treat and nurture the young. So I think that's a great example. I think what we've done here, listeners, and I hope you agree, um, we've started to lay a foundation. Yes, we've been talking about a period drama set in the 18th century, but, uh, you know, for the third time of repeating, it raises some very, very interesting and I'll use the terminology again because it feels right to use it. I don't know if it's totally appropriate, but these moral dilemmas. But I just want to kind of leave it there. And Kristen, I want, I want to leave it there where we're concerned by entering a word. And you've used it yourself in this, in this conversation. Because maybe, just maybe, we can pick on another scene or two from Poldark and discuss the matter of trust. And that's certainly something that's been around from the year dot. Well, I think one of the scenes of of trust that that I see is when uh, Ross uh, Ross runs for office, and um, he has to be away from the the farm, and he trusts Demelza to. He's a guy who really thinks he uh, can do it all, and he's really old school in that way. He just wants to manage everything himself, but he learns to depend on Demelza and trust her to manage his affairs and put her in a higher status and a higher esteem as a community leader than she would have been before. And you can see throughout the series that she does become that community leader. And I think there's that trust in in terms of the, uh, not just in terms of the romantic sense, but the trust that you have to rely on people when frankly, life has dealt you a lot of blows, don't you think? I do, and and I propose that we trust. Well, I trust that we're okay to leave it there, and I trust that there's there's further mileage in this. So maybe we can regroup, Kristen and I, and say, well, do you remember that scene? That was the epitome of trust. Can you remember that? I mean, there's a few that I could put on the table now, but um, 
No. Let's kind of uh, let's kind of keep things under wraps, so to speak. But I think trust is such a vital part, and as I say, of everybody's lives, whether we're talking around the 18th century, way before that, uh, or present day. So on that note, listeners, I trust you've enjoyed the conversation and um, sign off the way I always do by saying, remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond?